Welcome to the Smiling at the Future podcast. My name is Christy Rose, and this is my pursuit to glean practical wisdom on femininity, homemaking, finances, relationships, and singleness from the God-fearing women in my life. Hope you enjoy this journey with me as we learn to smile at the future. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining me in another year. The Lord keeps bringing topics to cover and people to interview, so I'm really excited for how God is going to work through this platform to edify believers and to bring glory to Himself. Today, we are covering the foundational idea of what is marriage. But even for such a basic category, I definitely had some aha moments during this episode, hearing John and Jane talk through simple and complex ideas surrounding marriage. And you will remember John and Jane, they have been on the podcast before, and I'm just so excited that they've decided to come back and share their heart and their wisdom on this important topic. I do pray that you'll come away encouraged by God's design for relationships. And now for our very first episode in the year 2022, I present to you John and Jane Tucker. Well, welcome back, Jane and John. I love and respect you both so much, and I'm sure that you know that by now because this is your third time being guests on this podcast. (laughs) Um, Well, I feel like we're kind of like make this progression here. Like the first time you came on, you talked about your long distance relationship and how to navigate that. And then the second time you came on, you talked about pre-engagement counseling and asking those big questions before entering into that engagement. And now we are talking about marriage and just some questions surrounding that. Like, why do people get married? Why did God set it up? And some other uh, questions that I hope will be informative to the listeners. So, We'll just uh, have you guys introduce yourselves briefly to those who are new to listening to the podcast and share where the Lord has you in your life and ministry. Okay, well, um, I'm a pastor here in Kelowna, uh, British Columbia, Canada at a little Baptist church. I've been here now 11 years. Jane and I got married nine years ago. And uh, so I started off uh, for the first couple of years as a single man in the pastorate, which was hard. Um, but, um, but so thankful for, uh, for the gift of marriage and, uh, and just to see what, uh, what, what God has done in our marriage and, and what he's done in uh, marriages in the church through the proclamation of his word and, and through the fellowship um, that takes place in the, in the local body. And, uh, I'm a pastor's wife, <laughs> mother to some pastor's children. And, um, yeah, so we, had many, many years single, each of us did. And so, Christy, your podcast is dear to our hearts, as are you. I've gotten to be a friend to Christy for her whole life. <laughs> so I'm just a little bit older than she is. So um, that's just been a real joy. And we are just so thankful that we get to chat with you again tonight. Well, it's always a privilege to chat with you both. And you have counseled other couples in, um, in your church, and so these questions probably are familiar to you. So we're just going to start out with just kind of a foundational question here. What are wise or unwise reasons for getting married or remaining single? 
Yeah, so I think, you know, obviously the best place to start is, is to look at, at why God invented marriage and, uh, and what his purposes are for marriage. And, and so it really, you know, obviously goes back to Genesis and, uh, and saying it's not good that a man should be alone, but that I'll provide a helper suitable for him. And, uh, and so this is the idea here is it's not primarily companionship, although that, that is there. It's because of to be able to, the couple can, can do more together than they could alone. And so that in that sense that the whole is greater than some of its parts, you know, so that's, that's really the, one of the reasons, one of the key reasons God, um, God created marriage in the first place. And then, you know, shortly after that, you see that, uh, the, the command to, um, to be fruitful and multiply and to, to fill the earth. And so obviously it's a, the only valid avenue for procreation. And then it's, um, so, so, and then part of that is also then to not just to, to fill the earth uh, with, with children, but also with godly seed. And so one of the, the, the best areas for evangelism is within the local fam- within your own family. And so you see, uh, you know, the, you can see so many, so many children are blessed in, in the homes where, uh, where, where you have believing parents who are bringing up in the, the discipline instruction of the Lord. Um, obviously tied to that, it's the only um, valid place for, for sexual expression, uh, for intimacy, and, um, and provides an opportunity for that and for, for all that, that is involved um, with that. And also to, uh, for an opportunity for sanctification where you know you can re- you really see your own sin there's other of course other avenues for this as well but you see your own sin in the context of marriage and it just really amplifies it and uh it gives you an opportunity and you and to see areas where you need to be to, to grow and to be sanctified and then I, th- I think one of the ultimate reasons for marriage in from ephesians 5 22 to 33 is to be a, a picture of the gospel um, as the husband lays down his life for his wife to be a picture of Christ. And, the, and as the wife submits to her husband as to the Lord and as a picture of the church. And Paul ta- calls that the, the mystery of marriage. So I think, I think those are the, you know, some of the, the key ones. There's, um, I can't think of, of any others at the moment, but those are some of the key ones. That the, um, oh, it's just, just for the, 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 the blessing of marriage, just for, you know, again, the, the sense that God just wants to give give His children good gifts. It was a pleasure to Adam when he saw you. <laughs> yes, he's like, and you, I'm sure you know the joke when he when he saw Eve. He said, "Whoa, man!" She should be so you know, it's 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 a it's a blessing. It's a joy. It's a good thing. It's a good gift from yes. God. Yeah. So, yeah. So, one of the ways that you can think are my motives or my reasons or wise or valid to want to get married are just thinking about what are you trying to kind of get from that person potentially are you trying to satisfy a longing that that person ultimately isn't responsible for filling so like for example someone could say I'm just so lonely I just really want to get married because I'm so lonely and if you go into marriage because you want to find someone to make you not lonely, that's going to put a huge pressure on that person that might make them feel kind of suffocated in the relationship. So, so, so yes, yeah, so it's in line with them with thinking about what the purposes that God gave for marriage and, you know, is it, is it to fill a need that, 
that it was not designed to do where you should have that need fulfilled in, in God himself. And yeah, it's certainly, Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say though, John did bring out about the companionship aspect and how God said, it's not good for man to be alone. So I think, you know, that's part of the blessing of marriage, but how do you know when it's like um, a wrong motive to want that companionship? Mm -hmm. In a situation, counseling situation recently, where just talking about about the your relationship with with God is is paramount. So so Adam was he had intimate fellowship with God, and so you can have that as a as a um, as a single person. And if you are you know involved in the local church, you can really get a lot of of the companionship there. I mean, I was I was single for. Jane and I didn't meet until I was 41 and I was saved at the age of 23. So that's a pretty protracted period of singleness. Um, and the others, you know, are married and, and they, they lose a spouse and, and have you know, singleness after. And so the, the local church can really fulfill a lot of that. I was living in Australia for a fair chunk of it. And I had a, a lot of a, a families that kind of adopted me and would have me around for meals. And you know, sometimes they were set up, but um <laughs> Every dinner invitation, yeah. you kind of wonder. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, but you still, at the end of the day, you still go home, you know, at night and, and, you know, you're, I always had housemates, but, but it's, it's, yeah, there, there's a, there's certainly a sense of companionship that you get in marriage that you don't get other places. Yeah. So I was listening to Conrad Bayway, who's a, a pastor, and he was describing it that when God said to Adam, it was a helper suitable. It was for partnership, even more than for companionship, partnership in his work, really. So he, he said it was for partnership as a helper for pleasure and for procreation. And so it's a very interesting way he described it. And he was saying that like, yes, when you're married, you're not as lonely, but that's like a, that's like a, a side blessing kind of. Um, so I think there are trials of singleness. And one of them is the fact that you just don't have somebody there all the time. That's one of the trials of singleness. So it is a side blessing, but I think what you were asking about, how do you know when it's gone out of whack on your desire list? I think when, when you're willing to, when you're willing to prioritize it above other things that maybe should be a priority. So if you just can't, seem to come out of your loneliness in order to have a vibrant Christian life because you're so lonely, or if you um, are willing to just kind of, you know, um, compromise on some of your standards as far as maybe somebody's not a believer and you're like, I'm just going to go out with him because I'm so lonely or, you know, like when you are putting pressure on that and it will ultimately having a motive that's based on these the biblical reasons for marriage that John was saying will end up adding a freedom to your marriage when the Lord brings it. You know, we, we can sometimes mislabel desires as needs. And so understanding that our, our need, all of our needs really are, are met in Christ. And so where in Matthew six, what says to seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. So this idea of trusting God's sovereignty and trusting God's plan, that doesn't mean you're, you're not going to be hyper Calvinistic about it. You, you actually are, are, you know, being available and, and, you know, and, and involved with other people so that, you know, you can, you know, 
hiding under a rock and then hoping the person's going to come along, you know, but, but this idea of cultivating contentment in your life, you know, when, again, when you have, when you understand that all of your needs are met in Christ, um, you're not going to be, you know, desperation is there. The people can sense desperation. It's not an attractive trait, but, but understanding that, that, that God really loves me and has really has this all worked out really is massive because then if you're, if you're going to the relationship thinking you got to get something that I need that that's going to create idolatry in the relationship. It's putting, putting that person in a place that really only God is supposed to be. That's really helpful. What about for what are wrong or, or maybe I should just say that wise or unwise reasons for remaining single. Do you have any input there? Yeah, well, we, I mean, we see biblically um, in 1 Corinthians 2 that, I mean, Paul says, um, oh, sorry, 1 Corinthians 7, that if you can serve God better single, stay single. So there's a lot of biblical kind of support for the decision to stay single if you feel gifted that way. But I think we're also seeing in our culture, even outside of the church, more and more people who don't want to be in committed relationships or let alone get married because there's such a focus on achieving your personal best kind of and whatever gets in the way of that. So if you're, it's easier or it's more comfortable to stay single or you can't climb the corporate ladder like you want to married, it's just going to tie you down. And even just just selfishness and, and pursuit of pleasure. I mean, you have guys, you know, sitting on the couch in in their boxers playing Xbox in their parents' basement, you know, rather than like actually preparing and equipping themselves, you know, to be married and actually pursuing those things. And and you know, culturally, this whole idea of, of it's almost like childhood is protracted now. It, it it's childhood is that expanded rather into you know into the, your late twenties. So people are just kind of content because they're having, you know, their, their, their world is, is, you know, and there's pornography is often a huge thing as well. And so there's, there's where there's no, you know, commitment there's, and it's just, it, it's destroying people. Um, and so they're not, they, they're not, they're not pursuing godliness. And so they're not pursuing the gifts that God gives. So, I mean, that being said, singleness, the way we experienced it, like we had both of us like opportunities for relationships before we married each other. So what made us say, you know what, I think for now I'm going to stay single. So singleness, like we both really believe is a daily gift that God gives you. It's not like, you know, wow, I was given the gift of singleness. Even though I have this desire to get married, I'm never going to get married because I must have this gift. It's a, if you're single today, that's your gift today. But if you don't have anyone that you'd really like to marry or anyone who'd really like to marry you, (laughs) then you have the gift. So it's not like you need to compel yourself to get married because it's so much better than singleness. It's God definitely works through the delight of bringing a a spouse Mm -hmm. into your life. So it can be something that you, also bring your desires into that decision. It's not just like, well, I know I could serve God better married. So I mean, single. So I'm definitely not going to marry this person that I really love. Who's a Christian, you know, you know, so years ago I was struggling with, 
you know, these are these are lessons that I've had to to, to learn and preach to myself. I was struggling with lack of contentment, and just really, I remember one time very 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 clearly walking the dog and 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 just wrestling in my heart and and prayer with God over these things and and you know I was like, but I don't have the gift of singleness because I don't want to be single. And then it, it kind of hit me. It's like, well, hang on a second. Moses didn't want the gifting or the calling in his life either. It wasn't his calling. And I'm sure, you know, Jeremiah and Isaiah and some of the things that they struggled with, right? And, and so it's not like, you know, this idea of, of, be, of these desires that we have, we, we, can, we can put them in a, a wrong, wrong in our priority list. And, and so I really just, just say, okay, God, uh, if that's what you want, if you want me to be single, then I'll be single. And it just really it kind of hit me. It's like, well, yeah, for today, I have the gift of singleness. Well, I have the opportunity to serve God today, single in a way that I might not be able to once I'm married. And, and so it was really, for me, it was, uh, it was just really seeking the Lord. It's like, okay, well, where's my, where's God using me now? And just really, and it was, it was really with discipleship and, and just really doubling down on that. And ironically, it was actually in seeking, so being, and, and that was where contentment came from. It's like, okay, I'm serving God today. And if God wants to provide, he will. Um, and again, instead of putting myself out there as well and, and, and getting to know women and, and whatnot, and, but trying to see, and God just wanted me to wait a little longer. But interesting, that was actually one of the things that, that uh, attracted Jane to me. Your contentment in your situation, yeah. I, it was so. What's the word? It was so attractive and unusual to meet a forty-one-year-old guy who was not waiting to get married to make the most of his life for the Lord. He was already a pastor. He had been very busy in his single years, doing everything he could find to do on his journey toward what he believed God wanted him to do with his life, and. He wasn't just sitting around waiting for a wife, I guess you'd say. So for me, a big thing that I felt was that I wanted to know that I could be a helper to whoever my husband was going to be. And I felt like when I met him, I was like, wow, I could really, I could really help him. So, cause sometimes it's, it's hard to see how that all fits in. If someone's waiting for you to make their life start, you know what I mean? My life can't start until you marry me. Um, so yeah, not complete until right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so good. And Jane, you said the word helper and I, I know that wasn't one of the questions that I had, but just, you know, the roles within marriage being a helper, do you want to flush that idea out a little bit? Kind of what God's design within marriage for the, the wife to be. So, you know what, I think actually number um question number four that we looked at might have some thoughts on that too i'll turn over there but so yeah about complementarianism so basically god designed marriage to have one head that drives kind of the the machine <laughs> someone told me once when i was in the marriage class anything with two heads is a monster <laughs> so <laughs> it can't accomplish any good so, um, yeah, because if you have two heads, you are trying to usually go in different directions and there's no harmony. It's not a peaceful situation. So God said, you know what? I'm going to make the man the head 
and he's going to have more responsibility and a role of protection and in kind of a discipleship for his wife and his family. And the wife will be like the support and the helper to what he's trying to accomplish. So it doesn't mean that the wife doesn't have input or help even in deciding the big direction, but in the working out of it, it's not her place to be trying to constantly go in her direction if it's against his direction kind of. So it's a helper in getting where he's trying to go. And that can look like different things in different families. But for me, like an example would be like, if I know kind of his heart for our kids and the way that we're training them and raising them, then I need to try to support that in the way that I mother them. That kind of a thing. Do you have any thoughts about that, honey? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's so certainly against Jean said, it's going to look different in different families, but, but the fact that, you know, just, just one practical way, you know, Jane is, is better with, you know, the, the numbers and, and finances and stuff. And then still, there's still oversight that I have, but it's, it's still, she's, she's pays the bills and whatnot. And that's just, that works out well in our family. It might be different in different families, but it's just one practical way, you know, and there's, there's things I know, like our home is going to be well cared for. And, you know, this doesn't give me the excuse. I said, I don't, it's not like I can, I'm never going to do dishes or anything like that. Like it's, it's, serve in that regard as well. I can just interject. Like, so in the financial department, I know John's goals and I know he wants me to make tithing a priority and he wants me to set aside this amount in savings each month. And then I kind of take it from there. But like, mm-hmm. I know that his goals are. Yeah. So it's more like, it's like this yeah, still oversight and direction, you know, but, but it's, it's, I think a, a really helpful picture is if you think of, of, you know, like ballroom dancing and I can't dance. So it's, you know. But the, the, you know, if you see, you know, um, like one w- where both were trying to lead, right. And you're kind of dragging each other all the dance floor <laughs> and they're stepping Crashing on each other's each feet other. and, you know, but, but, but when you see a couple, you know, that is really, you know, they move as one. It's clearly the, the the man is leading. It's, it doesn't even actually you don't necessarily see that, but it's it's the man is is leading in the the in the in the dance. But it's beautiful. They move as as one. It's graceful and it's it's that's really when it's working well. Um, that's really what it should look like. And it's it's again, it's not you know that men and women are are equal before God and, and co heirs of, of salvation, but they they have um, they have different roles. And, you know, so in First Peter three seven it says to to a you know a man if you're if you know after after First Peter three one to six and then dealing with with issues of the woman's heart he says to the man if if you know if you are paraphrasing you know if you're um, not showing you have to show honor to the woman as the weaker vessel it, it being a co-heir of salvation and if you, if you're not really treating your wife in that way your your prayers are hindered and so it. This idea of weaker vessel doesn't mean it's not it's not talking about her being less spiritual or or uh, any less intellectual or discerning anything like that. It's actually you know it's the weaker vessels in the, is in the fine china. And I'll say, to guys, like, you don't you don't take the fine china on a on a hunting trip. Well, some wise men want to go on a hunting trip, but it's but you, you care for your wife, and that's that's what that means. And and so it's again, but but as a co-heir of salvation, I think I think a lot of of what's called you know, there's the biblical patriarchy movement that was big uh, several years ago. And it says like grape nuts is neither grapes nor nuts. This biblical patriarchy movement is neither biblical nor patriarchy. 
uh, because it's it's you know it's just really t- taking things in the wrong. It's men domineering women, and and it's just really not. That's that's quite the opposite uh, from what what God calls marriage to be. Hmm. Yeah, and I think I'll just carry through with that question. We'll just. Stick- I know we're going out of order here, but with question number four, society has a different view of marriage. It's more what we would call the egalitarian view where it's 50, 50, you know, both are pulling their weight. Um, Can you, do you want to speak to that at all? And maybe why that's not a a cohesive model for a, a healthy marriage? Why God set it up different? Yeah, I mean, in part, certainly because it's it's again understanding that our our needs are met in Christ, and, and we have been given blessing upon blessing from God, and so so we really we come as having all of our our needs met, and so the idea of you know this this whole give and take idea is really antithetical to the gospel. You know, it's it's really it's it's give and give and give. It's it's to be be following Christ. We each seek to give a hundred percent, not just fifty. Yeah, because if you're if because what I'm, what invariably ends up happening if if it's this whole idea of okay fifty fifty, it's like well you know you did this so I'll do that so it's actually almost a tit for tat, um, and it's also that if you're not doing this, I'm not going to do that, and, and so instead of give give it's take take. Probably a, an easy way for offenses to build up quickly if there's a scorekeeping game with that. Okay, so if a person desires to be married, should they expect to be married? No. <laughs> so, I mean, we desire all kinds of things that we don't get, <laughs> but we get everything that's best for us. Scripture says, no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly, Psalm eighty four eleven. So it's just a matter of, I'm asking the Lord to help you discern if you have a desire or an idol. Desires can be for good things, but they could be things that wouldn't be best for us at that time. You know, I've gotten to watch some young women as they go through life in kind of a discipleship relationship. And, you know, it was when they were single, it was just they had such a desire to get married And it was almost like they just couldn't rest until they were married. And then once they were married, they just had such a desire to have a child. And then the Lord didn't grant that, grant that, and they struggle with infertility. And then once they have children, it's just financial security that they so desire. And so we can see how all of these good desires weren't going to bring them the fulfillment that they hope for, even though marriage and children and financial security are, are good things. So but we know that if you don't have it, that's because it wouldn't be good for you. So desire can be taken too far to the point of compromise. Mm-hmm. And it's really hard with desire because the heart is so deceitful, scripture teaches. And so our desires that come from our heart will be very possibly affected by our human nature. So it's it's hard to just go with desire and say, Oh, because I desire it, it must be good and right. Yeah. So, so James, you know, 117, right. That God is a father of lights uh, with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. Every good and perfect gift comes from him. And so God is the one who determines whether good is, whether a gift is good and perfect and also the timing. 
And, you know, I think about, you know, in the past, you know, things that I wanted and, and prayed earnestly for that I'm very thankful the Lord did not give me um, because it was not from, from, for my good or, or for his glory. And so it's understanding that, that God is the one who decrees these things and, and determines these things. So, you know, a lot of people will, will use, you know, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart as, and there's, there's, they'll say, well, okay, well, I have this desire. So God's going to, going to give it to me. But it's really, ultimately, it's to let yourself in the Lord and he give you the desires of your heart, which means he's going to give you a desire for him. And he's going to, he's going to give you more of himself. And he's also going to shape and mold your desires so that they're more in line with him and his character. And, and so the, you know, contentment, you know, in, in the waiting, instead it could be desire, which, which even, you know, in, in that, in that waiting, it's, there's a sanctifying process of the Lord saying, I want all of your heart. And so I'm going to withhold this thing for a season because I want you to want me. And so it's, it's, yeah, keep praying. And that's, it's in the, the, the desire for those things and, and committing your way to He's your heavenly father. And so committing these desires to him and trusting him grows your relationship in him. And then, and then so that if, and when he does give you that thing you desire, it'll be in his perfect timing. That's so helpful. I was listening to the Elizabeth Elliott podcast today. And um, Jane, last time we spoke, you were telling me how much she uh, was influential in your life. And so I've been listening more and just eating up her podcast. It's so good. But one thing that she, she was talking about singleness on the episode today. And one thing she said was that, you know, God knows, you know, like John was saying, every good thing given, every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. But he knows if maybe marriage would actually be a scorpion to you. Maybe it's not the <laughs> the good gift you think it is, but he knows. So John, how you talked about just growing your trust in him and yeah, learning to trust his timing. So yeah, that was just a helpful picture for me. So I'd encourage listeners to go check out Elizabeth Elliott's podcast. And she has so many episodes on marriage as well. She's such a good one to listen to because the Lord took her through Mm. prolonged periods of singleness with great desire. That's Passion and Purity, their book about how much they wanted to be married, but it wasn't right yet. And then, um, so how to like, how to tame your desire for something good, but it's just not the right time. And then the Lord fulfilled that in marriage, but then she had singleness again. And so if her hope had been in marriage, then her whole life would have fallen apart mm-hmm. when she lost her spouse. And that's happened to her. Well, it had happened to her twice in her life. And so it's, it's such, she's such a good example of someone whose anchor was in the Lord and in, in his satisfying, satisfying those desires. But I remember when I was single, I was in a Sunday school class. We were studying first and second Kings. And we got to the part where Israel wanted a King so badly so they could be like all the other nations. And they were saying like, give us a King, give us a King. We want to be like the other nations. And God was like, but if I give you a King, you're, children your sons are going to die in battle and this and that's going to happen but i would have given you a king in my time but okay i'm going to give you a king and they were like yeah we get our king and it brought so much heartache to them and they he had a king in mind for them all along but he kind of in working out his perfect will 
gave them the king when they wanted one. And I took that (laughs) to heart in my desire to be like all the other women and be married. (laughs) What I would do for a husband now, you know, like to just trust that God, if he had a husband, I, I would not be lacking in any way to wait for it. So uh, something John said just reminded me of that. That's so good. Okay, I'm going to move on to question number three. So Christian marriage is viewed as a covenant between two people with God or before God. Can you explain the significance of this and how it is different from how the world views marriage as just a contract? Yeah, I mean, it really relates again to the idea of, you know, why why God created marriage and and His purposes for marriage, and and so the idea of you know a contract, you know, it's that that fifty fifty partnership sort of thing. It's more of a like a like a legal agreement, whereas a covenant is it's civil, whereas a covenant is is to do with God, and it's a covenant not really when when you know in a marriage covenant, it's not primarily a covenant that the man and woman make with each other, but that they both make with God. And so that, that radically transforms the, the, the view of marriage and, and the meaning of marriage. And, you know, so when I officiate a wedding, you know, I uh, say to the couple that I don't marry anybody. It's, I'm just the efficient. It's God who joins a couple together. And that, that really is, that's what that marriage covenant is. Yeah, I was reading Tim Chelly's on this, and he he describes it. He's saying, in this view, marriage is essentially a contract between two autonomous individuals, which they use as a means of fulfillment or self-advancement. So then he goes on to explain that once the contract ceases to bring benefit to the parties involved, the need for the contract goes away because it was it was came about as a benefit to them versus a covenant is God-centered and other-centered and it doesn't, it's not created for mutual benefit. It's created by God, before God. For the glory of God. For the glory of God. And so it doesn't change when the mutual benefit changes. Yeah. The book that I was telling you about by Jim Neuheiser on marriage, um, he said something similar. He said, you know, with the contract, it's basically saying, I'm willing to stay with you as long as neither of us change too much. And with the covenant, you're saying, I'm committed to you and all the ways you will change physically, emotionally, intellectually, and spiritually for the rest of your life. I will love you not only for who you are, but for, for whatever you will become until God by death parts us. You're committing, you're making those vows to love the person despite the change and the loss of, of quote unquote benefit to you. This next question is actually one that I hadn't ever thought about. I just, when I, when I was thinking about it, I'm like, oh yeah, this is really interesting. But what involvement does the government or church have in regulating marriage? I'm thinking more about like a license from the state to marry or, you know, being married in a church, having a pastor officiate, you know, all those things where, how should we think about those in light of scripture and maybe just bringing wisdom into it? Yeah. So again, you know, our, our understanding is that because God created marriage, then he's the one who has a right to define marriage and, and what it means according to his word. 
And so he, he owns the institution of marriage. And so, you know, we, we don't have the freedom to be able to, you know, to mess around with that. And, and so it's the government's idea of marriage is it's more, again, they're focusing, it's almost like a contractual view of marriage. Again, God does not even figure um, in the equation. And so, you know, a lot of the, the government's definition of, of marriage would be, of course, very different. And it's, it's, it's changing, it's de-evolving. And so the idea then, you know, it seems to focus more on, you know, spousal benefits and, and, and those sorts of things. And, and so it's, again, something very, very different from, from what the Bible talks about with marriage. And so, you know, as I said earlier, it's, it's actually God who, who, um, who joins a couple together in marriage. So I'm not sure about the laws, you know, there in California, but, you know, we got married in California. Do you know that, that you know, we had to get a, a marriage license and whatnot? And, uh, and we do the same thing here. You know, but that that side of things, it's it's a there's a different element of it that is different than the spiritual element. And so, you know, when um, I I performed a, a wedding ceremony in in, uh, in another state, and uh, of course I wasn't licensed in that state, but the, the couple, you know, went we went through the ceremony and we, we did counseling with them before and whatnot, and did the ceremony and the vows, and and in the eyes of, of God and the church, they're married. You know, they went on their honeymoon, um, and then they went down. It was like a week or so later. They actually went down to the courthouse and did the courthouse and did the legal, you know, side of things. But in the eyes of God, like that's the real, that's the that's what marriage is. You know, couples on a desert island can't say well, we have to get, you know, the government has to, uh, you know, sign off on this. That's that's really not how it works. But there are legal things that are in our culture the way it is that you know are okay. But um, you know, again, it's therefore what God is as joined, He's the one who does it. Yeah. Well, and I think the, the the fact that society still recognizes that marriage is foundational to society. I know, like you said, it it is devolving. They are starting to tear apart marriage and try to re reform it into what they want it to be. But um, it's still recognized as a good thing for society. And with like, I don't know. I think there, last I heard, there's like over a thousand benefits and legal benefits and all of that if you're married. So as Christians, we want to come along and say, yes, we agree. Marriage is good. <laughs> we should put a premium on this. We should honor it. We should have benefits for it. And so in a way, you know, by going through the legal processes, we agree that marriage is good and right and should be celebrated. Mm-hmm. It's the building block of any healthy society. So, and I think, did you ask us about how we should feel about marriage, you know, even when it might be unbelievers getting married or? Well, I guess, yeah, if you want to just talk about the church's role in regulating marriage, because in scripture, you know, it doesn't say you have to have a, a pastor officiate and, you know, get married in a church. You know, what is the church's role, I guess, in marriage? Again, t- talking about a marriage between two Christians. The role of the local church is is really vital in the sense. Okay, so there's a reason why when a couple um, is married, it's in front of of witnesses. Okay, and so so the the witnesses are it's almost an accountability that, that takes place. And you know, again, the, the, I think that that of course is these things take place in extended families. But one of the the best places that take place is in the context of the local church. And so where in the local church, you know, part of spring each other on to love and good deeds is actually, 
you know, being models of biblical marriage. You know, I do some, some counseling with, with people from other churches, but I, I really say like, you really need to cultivate these relationships, you know, accountability, discipleship relationships really within your local church. Um, because there, there is, that's where you have that, that ongoing relationship and, and being able to talk about struggles and, and victories and, and challenges and pray together and, and in the context of a local body. And so there's that, that ongoing nature of, you know, because in, in most cases, many cases anyway, you'll find that, that it's you're getting married in front of your church family. And, uh, and they're the ones that are going to be with you, you know, bringing meals when the baby comes comforting and you and praying with you in the times of trials. And, and so it's, it's really, you know, vibrant local church is really important for that. And teach an older woman teaching you how to love yes, your husband. Of course. Yeah, and, exactly. And older men teaching you how to love your wife. And we just see all of Christian life in the epistles done in the context of a body. It's not living it kind of isolated on your own. It's not how God's shown us in scripture. Yeah. You know, one thing you said, John, about how at a marriage or wedding ceremony, we're not just spectators. The people that are there are witnesses. And, you know, taking that seriously, that you're witnessing this couple make these vows before God to each other. And one of the roles now for you is that you can encourage them to keep those vows and come alongside them if they're they're faltering in those ways. But... Yeah, so it, it just puts a different perspective when you're attending a wedding to know that you have a role in that. This is not just a one-time event for you, but that, yeah, you're as friends of the groom or the bride, that that's going to be something you can do. One thing that I was thinking about is that the church is to come alongside when, you know, in a marriage when there's sin or needs to be intervention in those ways. And I think scripture is clear on that point and that that's kind of the the one of the roles of the church in marriage i don't know if you wanted to say anything on that but yeah sure i mean it's uh in alistair begg's book lasting love he talks about one of his friends that would golf together and and uh you know would talk about about life and marriage and it's also i really think that's just so important when when couples get together for fellowship they're not just hanging out we're talking about sports they're actually saying so you know how, how how's your marriage how are you guys doing um just with that that intentionality and that you know the the, the idea of, of mutual discipleship in the local body but he tells a story in the book how he had found out that his longtime friend was was leaving his wife and he got on a plane and flew back to the uk and uh, took his friend golfing and said what are you doing and really lo- lovingly but directly challenged him and 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 the man repented and, and the marriage was saved. And it's like, you know, like I just was just so, you know, moved by that, that, that testimony of, of, a, of a good biblical friend. And that's really, you know, within the local church, you know, we, we, we need to be able to do that and have a boldness to be able to, to you know, come, come alongside and, and love each other enough to, you know, to challenge each other and to encourage each other as well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we were saying how, like societies made up of marriages and churches also a big part of them are is made up of these healthy family units, whether you're in the single part or the married part or the grandparent part, the church being a healthy church is a, it reflects so much the quality of the marriages in the church. And that 
is something that we can all play a part in supporting. Marriage is a picture of the gospel. And the gospel is Christ in the church. So the way that we support each other in our marriages and in our families is part of that purity of the church and God's love for marriage and how it reflects the gospel is something that we can all help each other and the one another's and supporting each other and coming alongside each other, you know, babysitting their kids so they can spend some time together working on their relationship or, you know, mentoring younger women in how to change some areas in their life to better um, support their husband. Or, you know, I just, it's all a big, beautiful picture of representing God to the world and the gospel to the world and marriage (laughs) provides so many platforms to display the gospel because the gospel is undeserved forgiveness. When we did not deserve it at all, Christ poured his love on us. Mm -hmm. And in marriage, there are so many opportunities when people are living so closely two people as one to be offended and to pour grace and pour the, the love of the gospel on that situation, not demanding perfection before you give love mm-hmm. or forgiveness, just doing it because we have been forgiven. I think helping each other to have our marriages reflect that is just so close to the Lord's heart. And it ties again back to the issue we were talking about earlier about companionship. And, and so you, you know, you can invite not just couples together, but invite singles. You know, we had a single man over for dinner last night and just just really wanting to, you know, welcome people in your home. And, and you actually, you know, when when a marriage that is like that and, and, and you know, as my friend Jason would say, with it, there's that aroma of grace in the marriage that models marriage, makes, makes marriage look good. And so I want that. And, you know, it's, and, and it, yeah, it makes it compelling and, and it's, it's not the way the world, because the world is, is against marriage, largely, you know, it paints a, you know, I think about in the 90s, like the, the TV show Married with Children, it's just, it's, it's an abomination of marriage. And that's so much of that in our culture and what, what Hollywood mm-hmm. is producing. So I remember when I was engaged to John, someone said to me, why are you going to ruin a perfectly good relationship by getting married? Oh, that's so hard. And I've heard other people say that when they got saved and came into the church, it was the first time they'd ever seen functioning families in a healthy way. Um, they Only what they'd witnessed was, you know, divorce and hurt and abuse. So yeah, it's such a way to be a light. And in our culture today, boy, it's not, it's not hard to do that because everywhere we turn, it's so sad. Can you speak to the importance of rejoicing even when unbelievers marry and you attend their weddings and you? Yeah. You know, certainly when we're talking about in, in God's you know, definition of marriage, you know, we would say that, uh, that it's, it's a gift of, of God's common grace that, that he showers upon believers and unbelievers. And so, so to the extent that it's within you know, God's definition of marriage, it's, it's a beautiful thing. And we, and we rejoice and we, we celebrate, you know, I, I would happily, you know, um, do a wedding ceremony for, for unbelievers. Of course I wouldn't, I wouldn't marry a, a believer to an unbeliever, not knowingly, but happily. And of course I want to do some counseling in there as well. It's going to be, 
full of the gospel and explaining what, what God is, what God is calling you to do in marriage. You actually can't do without God's grace, but it can still to, to a degree still have show, show that picture because the, this idea of, of, you know, some of the purposes of, of marriage can be fulfilled even in marriages between unbelievers because they're following, you know, what is really God's natural design. And, you know, certainly for, for procreation and for, um, and for this, this, you know, helping, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be a lot more difficult than when, when you have the Holy Spirit empowering you, enabling you, but it's, those things are still, are still I, I guess it probably, it'd be liking it to, you know, we still, even after the fall, we still have the image of God. You know, I think it was, it was Calvin said, it's been a, it's been effaced, but not erased. So it's still there in seed form. And so we can still rejoice in that aspect in, in, a, in marriage between unbelievers. Yeah, that's good. Jane, did you have anything you wanted to add on that point? Um, just that this is generally God's plan for humankind. So Ephesians 5, 31 says, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So it goes on to say that this mystery is profound and that it refers to Christ and the church. So um, like John was saying, even though they're not believers, they're still participating in a profound mystery. But we just see scripturally that this is the way God intended for the world to be, for humans to function in the world. Now, it's not going to be for everyone all the time, but yeah, it's a, it's a legitimate avenue also for intimacy and relationship in that way and procreation and fulfilling the creation mandate in that way. So it is part of God's design. And when we see God's design being carried out, I think it's appropriate to support and rejoice in that. And it's a beautiful gift. It's like when God creates a new life, no matter the circumstances, we rejoice at that blessing. Yeah. And, you know, even if it's a couple that you're maybe not excited about the pairing of, maybe you just don't think they're well suited for each other, you can still rejoice with them. And once they're married, you know, your role becomes being their cheerleader and encouraging them and helping them to, you know, make their marriage as great as it could be. And Lord willing, you know, that God would use that picture of Christ in the church to be a, a strong evangelistic tool in their lives um, and that kind of segues into our last question. How does God glorify himself through marriage? Yeah, I mean, it, it really, again, it, it ties back to things we talked about at the beginning about the, the God's purpose for marriage. You know, the, the idea, again, of, of Christ in the church. And, and again, we never walked that out perfectly, of course. You know, I remember listening to a Paul Washer sermon on being predestined to uh, be conformed to the image of Christ through marriage. And this idea of, of this, you know, call for he's focusing on husbands there to, to love your wife as Christ loved the church. And he said, you know, you and I woefully fall short of that, but praise God, you've been predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ in, in the context then of, of repentance and sanctification. As you grow, God is glorified in that. And you see, you know, I think about, about ways that, uh, you know, couples can, again, I guess another reason to not get married, but people want, you know, want, that they have these ideals and they, they want it's there's selfish ideals in marriage and, and you'll find out that sometimes the person that you married will struggle in in 
in some of the ways that, that really cut close to the bone for you. <laughs> and, and so those are, and there were this, you know, this, the, it's kind of true that opposites attract and, and quite often enough we found, again, it's just, we can't say this, you know, biblically, but we've seen how quite often when there's a couple is that when there seemed to be an imbalance in the personality, um, the, the, the one that, that God brings them to um, really is, is the opposite of that. And so, and then what, ha- what often happens is there's a way that you, the, the struggle in that and the, the challenges that they face in that can be a source of conflict. But when you learn to embrace that, you really see what God's God's work of sanctification, and it's just, so it's just, I guess, really showing His His glorious hand of providence. But there's there's also another way that that we really didn't touch on um, much in the purpose for marriage, the idea of that God is a relational God, and so you know the the idea of there's obviously one God and three persons is a, a profound mystery that, that we can't begin to comprehend, but that intra trinitarian love is just so obviously so perfect and so glorious and being made in the image of God, he made us to be relational. And and one of the, the, you know, if if you're married, the the closest human relationship you'll have is, is with the person you marry. And so again, it's nothing compared to inter-Trinitarian love, but that idea of that loving unit is, is a way that, that, that God's love is glorified and magnified. And there's also, just so many opportunities to lay our lives down for each other in marriage, which takes God's strength. Mm -hmm. And I was just talking with John about some issues in parenting and child raising and how do we communicate this truth to our kids? And um, one thing I was talking about was this idea of why is anything good good <laughs> why is it good to be kind why is it good to share why is it good to tell the truth and be honest and basically in short it's because that is how god is because god is kind and god is loving and god is generous and god is truthful and so our great privilege as humans and as christians is to reflect those things about god in a in a tinged way dimmed by our humanness and sinfulness to the world and to each other. And so in that way, we glorify God. And in marriage, we have so many opportunities to reflect things about God. And like John was saying, is the ability to have perfect unity between three essences and also to be just in a relationship where you can have the most irritation or like the most yeah, opportunities to die to yourself. What are you saying? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I think that's one of the reasons why some people say, why would you get married? Because it's hard to um, lay down your natural desires in a lot of areas, yet we can then reflect who God is in a stronger way with his grace and mercy mm-hmm. to help us. But yeah, it's just a, another way that we can grow in our sanctification i think mm-hmm. i've told this a couple of times but i was a pretty good person till i got married <laughs> i was so nice and i was <laughs> and all of a sudden i start seeing my uh, my sinful heart more which is you know a, a good thing to see it and then have the lord bring it out but it's quite a shocking experience mm-hmm. for both of us <laughs> yeah so you know i didn't know how selfish i was till i got married and I didn't know how impatient I was until I had children. Yeah. 
Boy, I mean, if you guys are saying that, um, I I always hear that come from like the people in my mind that are like the most godly people I know. And I'm like, oh my word, if they're, <laughs> what what hope is there for the rest of us? Oh, honey. <laughs> yeah, we're all on the same cloth, the same dirt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Well, thank you, John and Jane, for sharing with me and the listeners today on these foundational truths and why God designed marriage and it's good and it's right and it's right time and it's a gift and it's right time and just how we can reflect Christ in the church through it and be a, a witness and example to our lost and dying society. So thank you so much for sharing on all that and for being willing to come back a third time here on the podcast. Just pray that God's richest blessings on your life and ministry ahead. Thank you, Christy. It's a real joy to chat with you. 